morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to our series on Elijah. Now, so far, we have seen some pretty amazing and mighty and positive things taking place in Elijah. I mean, this is a man of God. This is a prophet of God who is being used by God in an incredible way. I mean, we are seeing some things being fed by ravens, raising a sun back to life, fire from heaven, rain from heaven. I mean, we are talking some incredible things. But how many of you know life is not all roses? Anybody ever experienced that or, or, or put maybe a different way? Has anybody here faced the fact or understood the fact that life is just simply perfect and nothing will ever go wrong? You're, you're laughing at me. You're chuckling at me. That's not the case, right? Life isn't perfect. Many times things do go wrong. There are challenges. There are difficulties. There are things that we face that they don't quite go the way that we hope they would go, right? I imagine you've been there or you are there or maybe you're about ready to go there, right? There's, there's times when, when things don't quite go the way that we hope or anticipated, and maybe we would enter a little bit of what I might call the cycle of despair. You ever been there? Now, I don't know where you are on this cycle or where you might be on this spectrum of despair, perhaps, but how many of you have ever felt even just a little bit blah? You ever had one of those days? Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't take anything more than the weather to make you feel blah, right? You know, those, those rainy days and Mondays, as the song says. You, you feel a little blah. You, you feel like you, you kind of have the blues. I mean, it's just, ah, uh, maybe it rains and it rains and it rains and, and you can't really do much. Sometimes it doesn't take too much to make you feel a little down, the blah, the blues. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe it's kind of a disappointment or discouragement over things that take place. Maybe a little bit more than the blues. Maybe a little bit more than the blah, but man, you're disappointed. You get discouraged. Anybody been there? Or maybe, maybe you, you feel a little overwhelmed and empty. It just, you're just spent. You're running ragged from the, the pace of life or the things that you face, and you're not sure you can handle what's around the corner. Overwhelmed. Empty. Some might even say to the point where you're just maxed out, burned out, maybe even somewhat to the point of being depressed or depression. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I certainly know that we face a lot of things, and somewhere here on this cycle or this spectrum of despair, maybe you're not a full-blown burnout depression, but maybe you've experienced some things that's been a difficulty. Well, guess what? Elijah has faced just that as well. We're turning a new chapter Literally, if you're in 1 Kings chapter 18, we'll flip the chapter to chapter 19. And we're turning the chapter on kind of this new season, if you would, of Elijah, 
where he feels this way. And the things that Elijah faces and feels and and all the the things that he battles, guess what? It's, It's just like what you and I battle and face and experience. So what we're going to do, we're going to be taking a look here in the balance of time this morning. And we're going to look at what what are some of these sources of despair? What leads us to get to this, this cycle or this spectrum many times of despair in life? And so as we're able to kind of look at some of the things, this, understand this is not an all-inclusive list. How many of you know there's a ton of things that lead us to feel blah, the blues, overwhelmed, just can't handle it? But Elijah faced a number of them. So we're going to look at at a number of things this morning, things that are sources of despair. So it's going to kind of help us understand maybe some things to look out for. And then at the end, we're going to close with a number of truths even in the midst of despair. And because our, our, our scripture portion is a little bit larger, we're actually going to complete and kind of go back over this next week a second time. You'll understand more as we go. Sources of despair. So 1 Kings chapter 19, and the first source of despair is probably one we don't imagine. It's probably one we don't always anticipate. It's one that might not have rattled off the top of your head, much like some of the other ones that we're about to face. The first source of despair for Elijah was actually victory. Victory. That doesn't quite make sense. How many of us want victory? Put your hand in the air and wave them because you really do care. Okay. We want victory. Leonard wants victory. He was, he was waving that hand high and loud and proud. We want victory. But here's what we see. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, this is the king, told Jezebel, this is the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. The king is telling the queen everything about chapter 18. This incredible Mount Carmel experience, the challenge with all the false prophets, the God who answers by fire is God. I mean, he, he, was, he was telling her, here's what happened. I mean, we spent hours up there. All these false prophets were yelling and shouting and screaming and cutting themselves and, and, and blood flowed and nothing happened. Then this guy Elijah gets up there, makes the altar, douses it with water, prays, and fire ignites everything. Then he prays and calls down rain, and then he outruns the chariot here. I mean, he, he's telling her, Queen Jezebel, the wicked, evil, sinful queen, everything that's happened. Now, you and I listening, we say, wow, this is powerful. This is the kind of victory you want to be a part of, Right? And we've recounted the things that Elijah had been a part of. God did some incredible victories, feeding him by the ravens, giving him water to drink by the brook at Cherith as we began our study. God sent him to the widow at Zarephath. The widow and her son, they didn't have much of anything, a little bit of of flour, a little bit of oil, and God did a miracle to make that last. The son died. God raised him up. 
through Elijah, raised him up to life. I mean, and on and on and on, victory after victory after victory. How many of you know that many times what follows victory, many times what follows after the mountaintop experience, many times is a valley experience? Have you faced that? Have you experienced that? Have you seen that? Many times our most vulnerable point is right after a victory. How many of you know the enemy's not excited with your victory? The enemy's not excited when God does something mighty in your life. And many times after the victory, many times after that spiritual high, that spiritual mountaintop, the enemy tries to sneak in and do what? Steal, kill, and destroy and, and remove or kind of take, pl- take the place of what God's just done. Think about Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus was baptized by John. Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. God the Father spoke audibly and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. That's pretty powerful. We look at that and see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all in one place. He was baptized. The Father said, I am pleased. This is my Son. What happened right after that? Went to the desert, to the wilderness, tempted 40 days by the enemy. Many, many times, that's why we've encouraged year after year in youth ministry and, and even many times here in, in senior pastoring ministry, after the, the high. For, for young people, it's after youth camps, after youth conventions. They've come, there's hundreds and uh, th- sometimes thousands of young people gathering and worshiping and seeking God at the altars, and God does something powerful in their lives. Then they come home. And the enemy tries to, tries to steal what God's just done. There's, there's battles that take place. So it's not so much that the victory itself throws us in, but many times it's what takes place after the victory. Not just young people. Adults, we can face some of those very same things, right? Special services, revival services, uh, you know, special camp, family camp. It could be something normal, a, a Sunday school class. Sunday morning message, but God does something. God speaks to your heart, and you are challenged, and you are changed, and you are riding high on the mountaintop. And many times, oftentimes, the enemy tries to come and tries to eat away and chip away and and tries to steal away what God has done. So immediately after this spiritual high, immediately after this powerful victory, What happens? Elijah faces this cycle or spectrum of despair. We've got to be alert and aware that many times after victories can come some challenges and difficulties. Here's a second source of despair. And it's one that we would probably readily identify with, and that's conflict. Conflict. So, King Ahab tells King Jezebel everything that took place. And in verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. 
If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. What's she saying? Break it down into plain English. She's saying, Elijah, I'm going to get you. You're going to be dead. She's basically saying, I promise, I swear, you can count on this. I'm going to make sure you are like one of them. She heard exactly what took place. All these false prophets, the, the ones that were serving Baal just like she was and King Ahab was, she heard how they were put to death. She said, Elijah sent a messenger. You're going to be like one of them. Conflict. You and I face conflict, right? And it, it comes in a lot of different forms, and it comes from a lot of different places. Many times it's through people, right? Sometimes there's conf conflict in families. There's, there's relational issues in families with spouse, kids, parents, uh, assorted uh, members of the family. There's conflict at school, conflict in the workplace, conflict in the community. There's conflict. And when you and I get into conflict, most people don't love, don't relish, don't seek conflict. Right? Most people would try to avoid. So when conflict takes place in our lives, many times that's what then throws us into, kind of boots us into that cycle or spectrum, if you would, of despair. How many of you know that many times conflict in one area can impact or affect other areas of our life? I bet you've seen it. I bet you've experienced it, right? When, when conflict takes root, maybe as a result of the family life, the family relationship, doesn't that often then affect other relationships, maybe the work relationships or the school relationships? Teachers see this a lot. When things take place at home, when, when there's difficulty in the home life, it affects that child's ability to learn, to interact, to connect with teachers, authority, and other, other students and classmates. Conflict at home causes difficulty in the school. Or conflict at home causes difficulty at the workplace. Or vice versa. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've experienced it. You've got difficulties, conflicts at work with bosses, with co-workers, challenges with people or with finances or, or those of, of people above you, and all these issues. And many times, then you bring them home, right? The challenges of the workplace can creep into the home life. So what we're seeing here from Elijah is not unlike what you and I face. Many times, this cycle or spectrum of despair, we can enter that after a victory. And many times it's because of conflict. Thirdly, one that we understand is this, because of fear. So as a result of Jezebel sending this message to Elijah, what do we read in verse 3? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. How many of... How, how many of you would say that would probably describe me? You know, 
someone says, I'm going to kill you, you might just get out of there. Yeah. How many of you, you say, I'm not sticking around to find out? There's fear. We don't want to die. We, we don't want to face that. This threat was, was very fearful and consuming him, right? But it's interesting what she said. She said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. She's kind of basing this on the power of the gods. What exactly was the power of the gods? The ones that all of those prophets were praying to? They were praying for fire and nothing happened. They yelled louder and nothing happened. They cut themselves. Blood flowed and nothing happened. That's the gods she's talking about. On the might and strength of those gods, you can be assured, I'm going to get you. Does anybody else find this a, a little bit humorous? But instead of chuckling, nowhere do we read in verse 3, Elijah chuckled and said, ha, 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 and stood still. No, verse 3 says, he was afraid and he ran. Many times, fear leads us to that cycle or leads us to that spectrum of despair. That's, that's one of the things, one of the only things that the enemy has on you and me. It's fear. First Peter, what does it say? Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's, there's that fear aspect of the enemy. I heard someone say this. They shared that a roaring lion typically was an older lion that often no longer had teeth. He would bellow so that his prey would be afraid and run into an ambush made up of lions with real teeth. You know, that, that sounds familiar. That sounds an awful lot like Satan, our enemy. Is there some strength there? Is there some power there? Yes. But in comparison to the God of gods, the Lord of lords, is there any comparison? No. But he prowls around as a roaring lion. There's fear that bellows out of us in response to the roar of the lion. You and I, many times, we get fearful based on the things that we face, based on the situations that we encounter, and that fear leads us into this cycle, leads us into this spectrum, if you would, of despair. Many times it happens. It's a result of fear. Number four, what's something else that can oftentimes plunge us into despair? Isolation. Isolation. So what happened? Elijah was afraid. He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He was alone. He got rid of his buddy. He got rid of his partner. He got rid of his servant. He got rid of his helper. And he went at it alone. One of those great dangers of depra uh, depression or despair or just this cycle of blah and, and being worn out is that tendency, it turns us inward. Maybe you've 
felt that or been there. Many times we do the same thing as what he did. We, we tend to withdraw from others. So you're hurt, disappointed, discouraged, and you withdraw yourself from other people, those who could encourage, those who could speak life into, those who could pray, those who could believe and trust with you. But we get down in the dumps. We get the blahs, we get the blues, we get overwhelmed. We say, I can't make it. And it's easy to just kind of pull away off to to the side, much like Elijah did, and get alone by herself. It's kind of like like a little, little turtle would kind of put itself in a shell. You and I, many times, we stick ourselves in a shell so we don't have to kind of peek out and look at anybody else. Let's just get a, get a little, little alone or get a little away by ourselves. That's kind of what Elijah's doing here. And then, then we wonder why we feel so alone and, and why we're in this cycle. This cycle or spectrum of despair. When some of these things happen, whether it's fear or whether it's conflict or whether it's the, the attacks of the enemy after victories, any of these things that kind of cause us to withdraw and isolate ourselves, what happens? When we isolate, we get alone, we get by ourselves, that kind of ramps up the blah factor, ramps up the blues and Disappointment and discouragement and despair factor. And so because of that, then what happens? We want to withdraw or isolate ourselves even more, which leads to more blahs, blues, disappointment, discouragement. You see that? It's the cycle that continues and continues. Elijah was facing that same thing. Fear made him run. And on the way, he leaves his servant And goes off by himself. Isolation can many times throw us into this cycle or pit of despair. So can number five, exhaustion. Maybe you've been there. So verse four, it says, He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Doesn't it sound like he is just at the end of his rope? God, I've had it. God, this is it. No more. I'm finished. I'm done. I'm through. Can't handle it anymore. I faced this and this and this and this. And just when I thought I was over this and this and this and this, that and that and that and that come. Maybe been there. Exhaustion. You feel empty and overwhelmed. I just can't handle it anymore. Elijah had been going for multiple years here, right? We've looked at this over a period of weeks, but we mentioned it's, it's probably going on about three, three and a half years now from what we've looked at. He declares rain. Uh, he declares no rain at the very beginning. God brings him to the brook at Cherith and feeds him by a raven in the brook. It's kind of like Survivor, the TV show, except Survivor's 39 days, and, well, Elijah's was probably close to a year. He's not in a hotel, motel. He's kind of out in the, the open being fed by a raven in a brook. 
So maybe about a year or so. And then God heads him over to this widow, right? The widow of Zarephath. And she's not a rich, wealthy, have everything kind of person. She's a poor, destitute with a son, handful of flour, a few drops of oil kind of person. God miraculously makes that last. God miraculously raises up that son back to life. But can you imagine all the the physical and mental and spiritual and and relational exhaustion of the brook followed by the widow? And now he's just gone through that most intense situation of Mount Carmel. If you've been in maybe a, a real intense prayer service, a real intense prayer for someone, you know, in, in olden days, we would hear that term about praying through. Any of you ever went home from church exhausted? There's that where you just, you give and you give and you give. You give everything you've got and you're praying and you're praying and you're seeking. And maybe some of you, you've got family situations. You've got work situations, financial situations, physical situations. And man, you're praying and seeking. And along with all of that is some of that spiritual exhaustion. How do you think Elijah felt? I mean, this Mount Carmel experience, this was an all-day thing. Hours that they were praying to their false gods. Hours that he was kind of needling and goading and, and mocking. And then he repaired everything, prayed to God, and God sends fire. And after that, he prays and seeks God and sends the servant seven times before then they see the little cloud the size of a man's hand. And then in the strength and the might and the supernatural power of God, God enables him to outrun a chariot anywhere from 12 to 25 miles, as we looked at. And after all of that, the queen says, I'm going to kill you. How many of you would just be wiped out, exhausted? He's running away. He's isolated. He, he leaves his servant by himself, and he gets to the point. He comes. He finds this broom bush, a, a bush, sits down under it, and he says, God, I've had enough. This is it. Take me now. Sometimes maybe you, you get to that point. It's a, the mental exhaustion, the physical exhaustion, the spiritual exhaustion. You are just simply worn out, and you can't handle it anymore. Many times that gets us on that spectrum or cycle of despair. But Elijah's not done. There's a couple other things here that, that kind of toss him into that cycle. Number six, comparison. He's under the bush praying to God. He says, take me. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I mean, compare me to them. I'm, I'm not any better. How many of you know we, we can do some real damage once we start comparing ourselves? Comparison is deadly. Now, now, we like comparisons that favor us, don't we? I mean, you can always look seemingly and find somebody in a worse situation than you. And in that case, you know, typically we would look and say, well, well, thank God. You know, I know things are kind of challenging, but it could be worse. It could be like this. And many times we look at that and we're 
encouraged. But how many of you know we're awful talented at finding comparisons that don't favor us? Right? We compare ourselves with somebody else and say, well, well, their prayer was answered. Mine's not been answered. We compare ourselves and say, well, well, well look what so-and-so just bought. And they did this, and they did this, and they did this. How and why are they able to do all that when I can't even do this? And we find comparisons, and we struggle in those comparisons. Elijah's saying, I'm no better than my ancestors. He's taking a look at comparisons. The Bible says comparisons are unwise. Comparisons are harmful. Many times we're comparing our weaknesses to someone else's strengths. It's not a fair comparison. We, we look at the, the things that we struggle in, but our eyes glance at somebody else who's excelling. So we compare a weakness that we have with what seems to be a strength in somebody else and then wonder why and how we fall short. We're all unique. There's only one person we can be. That's you. It's who God's created us to be. But yet we struggle by comparing. Many times we get in the midst of, of comparison and that throws us into that cycle, throws us into that, that wheel, that spectrum of despair. We start looking at everyone else. It's the final thing this morning that we're going to take a look at. Based on time, next week we're going to come with a lot more of the answers of what God has done to help answer these issues of despair. We'll kind of look back at this passage once again and some of the other scriptures that we haven't looked at. But the seventh thing I see here from Elijah's life that throws him into that cycle of despair is self-pity. Self-pity. Verse 10, he replies to the Lord. And it's, it's interesting. The, the Lord basically says, what are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing? And what does he reply to the Lord? I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I have. I'm zealous. I'm faithful. God, I've been able to do this for you, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant. The Israelites have torn down your altars. The Israelites have put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me, too. Wouldn't we say that this is a, a pretty successful pity party? Now, I know you've never been there, right? You, you've never been there, but I bet you know someone who has. Wink, wink. Chances are good we've been there. And what's interesting about Elijah, and we'll, we'll kind of touch on it and cover it a little bit more next week, God answers Elijah in a pretty powerful way, and he asks him one more time, What are you doing, Elijah? Look at your Bible. A few more verses down, verse 14. It is word for word, letter for letter, the exact same answer to God. It's like Elijah's struggling to get it through his thick skull. He's still in pity party mode. He says it again, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. 
And now they are trying to kill me too. All of these things are, are adding up to this cycle of despair. He's ran away. He's fearful. He's by himself. He's exhausted. He's out in the sun. He, he finds this little bush, this broom bush to sit under and pray to God. He's basically collapsing in its shade in a party of pity. This is the poor old me party. The poor old me, right? Nothing ever goes right for me. I mean, so-and-so has this and so-and-so has that. And we, we, we factor in the, the attitudes of comparison. But when it comes to me, oh, poor old me, nothing ever goes right for me. Isn't this amazing? We're reading this, having spent weeks studying verse by verse, year by year, season by season, God's mighty and powerful hand. How many, how many of us, we would love to be used by God in, in just one of those ways that Elijah was? Can you imagine God caring so much about you he would feed you with birds. And, and not the pretty white doves or the, the gorgeous and brilliant red cardinals, but kind of a scavenger type of bird, a raven. God would care enough about you to send you food by ravens. Not like once. God would send him food twice a day for this extended portion of time as if that's not enough God sends him to a widow who basically has nothing this handful of flour and a little bit of oil and says something pretty challenging has Elijah say okay make a cake make a little something for me first pretty bold take care of me first but then you'll have enough to take care of all of us until the drought's over. How awesome would that be to be a part of? To see with your own eyes a little handful of flour, a little bit of oil being made into maybe a little bit of a cake presented to you. And then you, then you tell the widow, okay, go make something for yourself. And she's like, I just used the last of it. Well, no, go check it again. Well, there's just a handful and a little bit of oil. Okay, well, we'll make a cake. And the next day, go make a cake. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. Can you imagine how awesome, how powerful that would be to experience that? He experienced the ravens and that. Oh, and by the way, the sun died. And God used Elijah to raise him back from the dead. That's pretty powerful. Can you imagine being used of God in that way? And if that's not enough, on top of that, the conflict with Mount Carmel, you, you face off with hundreds of false prophets, you stand alone, you boldly declare that God is God, and, and you're so bold, you douse the sacrifice that you want to catch on fire, you douse it with 12 barrels of water, Pray to God, and immediately fire comes down from heaven, burns it all up, licks up all the water. Can you imagine being a part of that, too? And on top of that, 
to pray and ask for rain after three and a half years, and God gives rain, and on top of that, to supernaturally outrun a chariot? All of these things God has done in his life, and yet, what is Elijah saying? Poor old me. I'm the only one left. Nobody else is doing anything. Those Israelites aren't seeking you, just me. And God, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I've had enough. He's not quite seen all the ways that God has already provided for him. This self-pity, and he, he says it twice in verse 10 and in verse 14. Understand, the same God that was with him in the ravens, the same God that was with him with the widow and her son and Mount Carmel with the fire from heaven and with the rain from heaven and the supernatural strength, that same God is still with him right here under this pitiful little broom bush. We know it's a song, but the God of the mountains is the God of the valleys. He'd been on the mountain. He'd experienced all of those spiritual highs. And now he's worn out. He's exhausted. He's in the valley. And what's he doing? Pity party. Poor old me. Nothing goes right for me. And we look at him and say, are you crazy? Don't you see God's hand upon you? Now granted, with most of us, probably all of us, when we're throwing a pity party... We have not seen the, the mighty and powerful things all that Elijah has seen. But I'd venture to say we've seen some stuff. I'd venture to say we've seen some faithfulness. I'd venture to say we've seen God's hand at some way, somehow upon our lives. Maybe not to the point of what Elijah had. But many times, just like Elijah, we throw ourselves a pity party and we feel so worn out, there's nothing left to give. That's, that's what Elijah's saying. Just, just take me now. I'm the only one. Maybe you felt that way. You felt like you've tried to do the right thing and it doesn't seem to get you anywhere. What we want to do is understand these are many things that lead us into, drop us into, place us in that, that cycle, that spectrum, that sense of despair. I'm going to leave you with despair. I'm going to leave you with some truths in the midst of despair. We'll look at a, a handful of truths. And again, next week, we're going to jump back into the same passage. I'm going to invite you study chapter 19 and begin looking at all the ways God begins to answer. God begins to help. God begins to strengthen him in the midst of his despair. A bunch of those as well. well. We'll need some time to unpack that. Before we close, a handful of truths in the midst of despair. I want, I want us to understand this before we close. Truth number one I am not alone. Would you say that with me? Say it out loud. I am not alone. Many times we feel that way. We go through difficulties, we go through struggles. We go through disappointments and discouragements and time when we feel overwhelmed and we just don't have any more to give and we, we don't know that we can handle it anymore, God. 
Whether you're to the, the stage or, or to the point of maybe clinical depression or not, you're just burned out, exhausted, worn out. You say, I can't do it. Many times when we get to that point, we feel like we're the only one. I am not the only one. You are not the only one. We go through those seasons. We're looking at Elijah, a mighty, powerful man of God, used of God in incredible ways, and he's having many of these same situations, thoughts, and feelings that you and I face. We've looked multiple times in this series from the scripture from James chapter 5, verse 17, which says, Elijah was as human as we are. We're not alone. Yes, God's able to use us like he's able to use Elijah, but it also means he's human like us. Many times we face the same types of things that Elijah has faced. Look through the word of God. Look at King David. Read the book of Psalms. He wrote a whole bunch of them. Are they all super cheery? As if the world is perfect and nothing ever goes wrong? David wrote some, many times, dark, <laughs> uh, bold stuff. One of them says, why so downcast, O my soul? Other places, he, he's praying, God, would you take these children of my enemies and dash them to pieces on the rocks? I'm so mad. Whoa. I mean, David faces some pretty deep and dark times of despair. Look in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. How many difficulties and trials and struggles and hardships he went through. He writes this in 2 Corinthians 1. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. If one or more than one of these sources of despair describe you, simply say, I am not alone. Many people face this challenge, these struggles, these issues. Multiple men and women through the word of God. We're simply looking at Elijah because we're following the text all the way through and Elijah's faced with it, but many others have. Truth number one, get that into your heart and be encouraged that you are not alone. Others are facing the same types of things. But let's follow it up with truth number two. God knows. God knows. It's, it's tempting when we get into these difficult struggles and despair and situation and and many times we do that whole isolation thing where we kind of isolate ourselves from others and just get in our own little turtle shell. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what I'm facing. No, not one person's really said anything to me about this. And that kind of leads us into the pity party. I mean, it's just a cycle. It's one thing that leads to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the next. And we assume or sometimes outright believe God has no clue what's going on in my life. Because if he did, he'd probably do something about it. I want to assure you, God knows what you're going through. God knows the challenges, the struggles, the difficulties. 
disappointment, discouragement, despair. God knows. Sometimes we do our best to try to hide it from him or others. God knows. Nothing escapes his attention. Nothing's a surprise to God. God didn't come to this point and go, oh, wow, you, you don't say, Elijah, I had no idea. When you and I face these difficulties and situations and, and call out and cry out to God, God's not somehow awakened from a nap saying, oh, when did this happen? You know, you don't say. God knows what it is that we're going through. I'll give you, give you a sneak peek. We're going to cover it in a little bit more detail next week as we walk through kind of the, the ways and, and uh, abilities to get out from under despair with God's help. A sneak peek, God sent an angel to him. He had ran, he ran away, he left his servant, so he is isolated by himself, running around the desert by himself. God found him by the brook to send him ravens. God found him underneath a broom bush and sent an angel. God knows exactly where you're at. God knows exactly what to do in your life and in my life. God knows. Truth number three. Not just that I'm not alone. Not just that God knows. But even more comforting and encouraging is God cares. I mean, you know, there's a difference between knowing about something and actually caring. You, you, you've probably said that to somebody. You know, you, you tell them something. And if they're being kind of a smart aleck, sometimes they respond, ask me if I care. For some people, it's just enough to know what's going on. Okay, just let me know. I mean, I don't really care, but just let me know. Sometimes we get that impression of God. Now, human beings, man, we, we suffer, we struggle in this area a lot. Not with God. God doesn't just know what you're facing. God doesn't just know what you're going through. He truly cares for you and me. Scripture that Mel shared this morning. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. That's not an empty promise. That's power-packed, power-filled. It's not just that he's all-knowing and he knows what's going on. God truly cares. God understands. He knows, he understands, and he cares. He knows all the details, understands all the intricacies of relationships and finances and physical body and doctor visits. And God knows it all. God fully comprehends it, understands it all. And God cares enough to want to be able to do something about it. We're going to take a look at how God has helped Elijah, and may the same ways God's able to do that very same thing with you and with me. Truths to, to stand up underneath in the midst of our cycle and, and despair. Realize that we're not alone. Understand that God knows and understands and he cares. 